Welcome back to another episode of the Coach's Corner Podcast. And in today's episode, why I want you to stick around, and I don't say this often, although maybe I do say it more often than I think I do, but I really want you to stick around because one of the biggest things I hear is I've got this thing inside me, this story inside me, this thing I want to put out, yet I put it out and no one listens, no one cares, and I know how frustrating it can be. I remember when I was like, I've got this message inside me. But no one gives a shit, and no one seems to listen. And I used to blame everyone else for it until I started understanding storytelling, uh, copywriting, really basics of human psychology and marketing. And today's guest is an expert in that. So if you ever feel frustrated that you've got this thing inside you, but the world seems to not care, we're going to make sure that at the end of our 45 minutes together, uh, Allison Fallon is going to help you make sure that you're not only heard, but that message spreads like wildfire. Is that pretty fair to say, Allison? Yeah, sounds great. Awesome. So we got Allison Fallon on the show today. Allison, you, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Okay. So hit it. We've got this little 15 second. <laughs> Why should someone listen to this podcast episode and really listen to what you have to, to teach today? I always say the easiest way to talk about what I do is that I write books, I help people write books, and I believe a regular practice of writing can totally transform your life. So part of why I started, um, my company is called Find Your Voice, um, and I started Find Your Voice about 10 years ago. Part of the reason that I started it is because I saw that words are the most powerful tool that we have at our disposal to create positive change in our personal lives, in our communities, and in the world. So this impulse, you talked about this in the introduction, but this impulse that so many of us have to put our ideas into words, whether that's through a screenplay or a blog or a book or um, an essay or an article or whatever it is, even just an Instagram post, um, the impulse that we have to take our ideas and put them into words is a really good impulse. It's a very human impulse. But like you mentioned, it can be a frustrating impulse when we don't feel that we have the skills to do that well. And that's one of the things that we help people do is overcome this idea that there are certain people who were born or gifted or who have been trained to, who deserve to write their ideas down and step into the notion that we are the person, the only person who could ever transmit our ideas into words. Nobody else could transmit those exact ideas into words the way we can and empower people to use the tools that are at their disposal to become really good at that. So that not only do those words have a powerful impact on them personally, but they also reach the people out there in the world who we're trying so hard to reach. Yeah, beautiful. I think that is a much better way than I could ever put that. Um, okay, mm -hmm. so I, I know this is on the minds, and I did not put this question to um, create any kind of resistance, but I know what's on everyone's mind is in a day and age of short attention spans and of video and of like who the hell reads a book anymore? Although I love reading. It's like a book a week. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I love reading. Um, and all the effort it takes to write. And I know you'll be biased because this is what you do, but I think it's really relevant. In a world of video, is writing in the written language a dying art form or can it still mm -hmm. be effective and, and, and why? Uh, let me answer that question with a question. This is the question I always ask whenever I travel and speak anywhere. How, how many of you who are listening to this podcast write, compose, and send at least three messages per day. Text messages, emails, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, Instagram posts. It's, and it's crazy. I'll, I usually ask the question first, how many of you in the audience would consider yourself a writer? And like four mm -hmm. hands in the whole audience go up. 
And then the second question is, how many of you write, compose, and send at least three messages a day? And the irony is really thick here because we say that writing is passe or writing is for other people. Writing is for this elite group who are really good at it, who were born to be that way. Um, and my point is, in the modern world, never before has writing been more accessible and never before has it been more important because you cannot exist in the modern world without being good at writing. So we've got to get really, really good at communicating through the written word or we're going to, even if you're recording a video, there are a few people in the world who I know who could be thrown in front of a camera and record really compelling content without first writing it down. 100%. So even though we're consuming content in a thousand different ways, oh, this is another thing I'll add too, is um, the way we're consuming content is changing. Yes, that's inevitable. It's inevitable and it's indisputable. But in 2019, book sales actually went up. That's physical, actual book sales. So people are still going to bookstores and purchasing, or it, whether it's a physical bookstore or an Amazon, people are still going and purchasing physical books and they're wanting to hold it in their hands. Yeah. And we're also consuming content through Kindles and through Instagram and through BuzzFeed and through um, podcasts and through a million different mediums. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that books or the written word are going anywhere. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. So I, I know another thing we were discussing on like what are the most effective things in, in, in relation to our audience that they're probably asking. But also, and I, I want to see what your thoughts of it, is everyone seems to be, everyone I talk to is like, man, I'd love a book someday. Uh, I'm not in mm -hmm. exclusion to this, by the way. Um, I, I do not have mm -hmm. a book. We create a lot of content, podcasts, YouTube videos, blogs, articles, uh, getting stuff published. Book has yet evaded us, and it's been on our minds of like, hey, we're in a pretty good position right now with the audience to get a book out. And everyone else I talk to is also, hey, I'd love a book someday, but they either don't feel they're ready or they, you know, they're looking at, who is this? Joe Dispenza, Becoming Supernatural. They look at a book of oh. someone else, beautiful book, and mm -hmm. they're like, either they think they're not expert enough to write something. I mean, Joe Dispenza's been doing this for five decades or three decades or whatever, or, you know, they, they and I've sat down many times to do an outline of a book, and I'm just like, okay, this is a monumental, massive, <laughs> at least a story I tell myself, project that I, I, I come from a video background, so I'd much rather just do eight hours of video content. Um, what do you say to someone who's maybe listening because I'm guessing you're hey anyone can mm -hmm. write a book that's a little bit in a in a place of self-doubt that well I mean, you know who would read my book mm -hmm. what why me totally the thing I would say is the question that the inner critic that's speaking in your brain right now is saying a list of things to you that it's saying to every writer who's ever sat down to write a book ever and I mean this to, to say John Steinbeck, who wrote East of Eden, which is, I think, arguably one of the best, um, you know, novels of, of its time um, and is a, a piece of work that's been passed down through generations and is read in high school. It's part of, uh, you know, the, the canon is read in high school classrooms and college classrooms. Um, that's true of, of Joe Dispenza, although I don't know Dr. Joe Dispenza personally, but I've worked with hundreds of authors who are as successful and even more successful than him. And I've heard them say these phrases to me over and over and over again. Mm. So whether you're an author who's never done this before and you're coming, just like you're talking about, you're coming to the table, sitting down, trying to outline a book and thinking this is incredibly daunting. It's the biggest task I could think about taking on right now. And, and I'm worried about biting off more than I can chew. Or if you're an author who's done this six times before and you've hit the New York Times list and you've sold millions of copies of your book and you're making a full-time living from this and you've got an editor who's waiting on your manuscript, 
regardless of where you are on that spectrum, you're saying the same things to yourself, yeah. <laughs> which is a bit comforting for those of us who are just coming at this to begin with, because we tend to think that someone, you know, our heroes who have written the books that we remember forever and ever, we tend to think that those people are of a different category or that they couldn't possibly wonder if they have a good idea. And that's just simply not true. And if you want, I can go through the five things that authors, potential authors will say to themselves. These are the five criticisms that run through our minds about our own writing. I, I love that. And I think just to add on to that is anyone listening is literally no one's going to give you permission to call yourself an expert. And of course, you know, you want to be consuming information, knowledge and get better at what you do. But I know the day that I just took charge of that years ago being like, you know what, I'm, I can be a self-proclaimed expert. I'll keep getting better at my craft, <laughs> but like, damn it, I, my, what I have to say is, is important and I'll find my people sure. who resonate with it. And you just got to give yourself permission at some point, but I get it. What are the five things then? Let's go into that. The first thing authors will say to themselves is that they're not a real writer. Mm. And this is fascinating to me because I hear this from every single writer that I ever work with will say this or some version of this. And I always ask people, what would it mean to you to be a real writer? And we all have a different story that we make up about this. So some people will say, if only I had a degree from a certain university, then I could be considered a real writer. Or if only I had published a book before, then I could be a real writer. Or if only I had hit the New York Times list or some other bestsellers list, then I would consider myself a real writer. But what's interesting about those exclusions is that, the, or those those stories we tell ourselves is that even the people who have gained those credentials still wonder to, the, to themselves if they're real writers. So I'll have writers come to me who are very prolific and profound, gifted and successful writers who have written copious amounts of material who will say to me, you need to know this about me. I'm not a real writer. I stumbled on this by accident mm -hmm. or the only reason I got here is because a publisher came to me and asked me to write my story. And, you know, I mean, it's a, nothing to shrug your shoulders at to say a publisher came to you and asked you to write your story, but that itself doesn't make a person feel yeah. like they're a real writer. So yeah. that's the first thing I Second thing I hear people say is they worry that maybe the idea that they have isn't any good. So that especially if this happens, especially when they sit down to write an actual book project, they're like, I'm not even really sure I have a book here. I don't know if this is a good idea. And the thing I remind writers about this is that everyone, even John Steinbeck, John Steinbeck, by the way, as he was writing East of Eden, was writing and sending letters to his editor, um, his agent and editor at the time. And he writes, I don't have the quote sitting in front of me, but he writes this beautiful little section in that, in one of those letters about how he's not sure what's going to happen with the book. He's not even sure if it's going to be any good. Maybe it will be only his kids who read it, but for whatever reason he needs to write it. So it's just a good reminder for us to realize that nobody starts out, you don't start out with anything in life that really matters with a relationship or a job or um, a new business venture or anything in life that matters to you, knowing for sure that this is going to work out exactly the way that you planned it to work out. Part of the creative process is, be willing, is being willing to enter in to the chaos and the messiness and the confusion and to try to make sense of something that doesn't immediately make sense to you. I love that. So that's part of the process. Um, the third thing writers say to me is that they're, they're, they don't really have the time to write or they're worried that this is going to be a waste of time. And um, when they tell me that, I always say, the, one of the reasons that we're so concerned 
about time and something being a waste of time is because we're obsessed in our culture with productivity and efficiency. And because we're so obsessed with productivity and efficiency, we're not very good at creativity. Mm. And so what I encourage writers to do is to know that the creative process is how we come up with new solutions to old problems. It's how we invent anything that hasn't existed before. It's how you create something out of nothing. So, you know, Walt Disney never would have created any of the theme parks or movies or, or anything that he created if it weren't for being willing to enter in to a complicated, confusing, chaotic, and sometimes unproductive process. But think of what has been produced because of what uh, because of that commitment that he made. And anybody who's ever done anything creative, you know that the creative process is not efficient at all. It's a lot of wandering in circles <laughs> and wasting time and um, and a sense of play, you know, which is um, not linear or or productive necessarily in the short run, but that, is productive. That hits me. I'm going to take, I'm going to make sure we take, I took a little note of that 60 or that two minute clip there. Um, and put that as its own piece of content. Cause to me, that was one of the hardest things for me to learn is I came from a world of like very yes. dick, 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 dick. And then when I stepped outside to like, Hey, let me get creative. I was like, damn, two hours mm-hmm. would go by and I got a scribble and I got some scribbles and what the hell. Yes. And I just found that to reduce the anxiety of that, I just schedule that two hours aside where it's like kind of play. It's kind of fun. And I don't know if there's going to be an outcome and me letting go of control. If you know me has been a, a lifelong journey of just letting go. But by doing that, the biggest solutions, some of the biggest creative spurts or biggest months come when I give myself the most time to be like, hey, let I don't know where this is going to go, but let's try it. And it, it was a hard thing for me to learn. And so I love what you just said because I never really put a label on it. I never actually thought about it, but that just kind of brought it home for me of like how important that time is, whether it's a book or problem solving in general. Exactly. Totally. I love that. I love that. And then the fact thing I hear people say is they're worried that maybe nobody will ever read what they've written or sometimes I'll hear that flipped onto the other side (laughs) so the concern will be like oh my god what if someone reads what I've written um and and the thing I tell people is this concern is the same concern and really it's none of our business at the start of a a project a written project to decide who's going to read this or who's not going to read this because the most important person whose life will transform because of your written words is the most important life will transform that will transform is your own life. So to be worried ahead of time about, um, and this, honestly, this gets fed to us a lot because if you were to go out and try to get a traditional book contract, probably the most common piece of advice that you would hear is to grow your platform, unless you already have a platform, in which case you'd be more likely to get a book contract. But this is the most common piece of advice given to new writers who are just looking to write a book is publishers and agents and other people in the industry will say like, go away, grow your platform. And when you have X, Y, Z, 50,000 followers on Twitter or whatever, then come back to us and we'll talk about a book. And I understand why this advice is given because at the end of the day, publishers have a job to do and they've got books to sell and they want to make sure that their distribution channels are actually going to work to sell a product to the marketplace But the reason I find this to be so tragic is I think growing your platform is the fastest way to create something terrible. (laughs) In fact, one of the, one of the things I encourage writers to do when they sit down to work on a project is to write to one person. Right. Cause, cause I'm guessing cause they'd be steered to try to 
trying to please other people instead of it coming from an authentic place. A hundred percent. Well, and imagine, just imagine the difference between if I were to ask you to tell a deep and personal story from your life or something that really mattered to you on a stage in front of 3000 people with lights shining in your face, you would be able to do it, especially if you had some practice and some time. But how much easier would it be to tell that story if you were sitting across from your brother or your best friend or a parent or someone who you felt really connected to? It was just one person and you feel connected to them. You understand their sensibilities. You have a way of speaking in a language that makes sense to them. It's so much easier to communicate when you're in that setting that why would we start out our communication worrying about these these vague and undescript 30,000 people that we hope will yeah. maybe one day pay attention to us. Um, it's a really quick way to derail yourself and get stuck. 100%. Okay, so I'm listening and I'm sold. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to write a book. And I get all excited and I sit down <laughs> and I'm just like, sweet. I like coming up with a title and maybe some kind of outline, Googling how to write a book. I download a few pre PDFs that these, you know, the marketers got out there and I, I fill them out. And then I realize all my ideas are all over two or three days goes by and I'm like, fuck it, I'll do it later because this is too complex. So let's say I'm there. What's the process? And I know we have a little amount of time. I, I, I guarantee and I'm sure you have a ton of stuff to give the audience. So we'll get into that. But just with the time we have, I want to write a book. I tried maybe once or twice. I'm speaking from experience here, by the way. And yes, I'm just like, all right, maybe I'll try it again. I'm going to sit down and do this again. What's the process generally look like? Or does it differ on, on a few different things? So there is a process that we follow with, that I created for Find Your Voice. Oh, let me back up a little bit and tell my personal story because this yes. will make this all make yeah, more yeah. sense. I quit my job in 2010 because I knew that I knew that I knew that I needed to write this book. And I say this book, but I didn't really know what that meant at the time. I just knew I had an idea that I thought was probably a book that was still very vague to me. But because of my personality, I'm a bit of a risk taker. And I kind of like to do things my own way. So I was like, it feels like the only way to really do this is to throw myself into the deep end. I'm going to quit my job, move out of my apartment, sell pretty much everything I own, and I'm going to set off on this journey to write this book. What, what was the job, just so I have an idea of your background, if, if that's okay? Yeah, I was working actually as a teacher in the public school system. Okay, which, cool. Um, anyway, it's kind of a tangent, but added a whole layer of tension to the story for me because it, I had gone to school to get my master's degree in education. And I was really passionate about changing the education system and having an impact. And I was teaching in Portland public school system at the time. Okay. Um, and there were good teachers were so needed in the district that I felt like I was leaving this really noble profession to go kind of do this frivolous passion project. And, and this is how a lot of writers feel about their writing, especially writing a book. If you haven't done it before is like, gosh, that's so self-indulgent. I couldn't ever mm. give myself the time to do that. And for me, it was teaching, but for other people, it's something different. It's parenting or, um, whatever their, maybe what, whatever their job is, or there's something else in your life, taking care of an ailing parent or something that feels like this is way more important than this frivolous thing I want to do over here. How could I ever turn away from this to go a practical example for most of our listeners, including myself, is I have a business to run. I've got sales and a team and I've sure. got things to do. And every time I sit down and write a yes. book, three hours goes by and I got three words down. So that's a pretty practical <laughs> example from myself and probably yeah. some of the listeners here. Totally. Cool. Okay. So it's 2010. I quit my job. I set out on this endeavor to write a book and I think it's going to take me six months. And three years later, I still barely have a book finished. 
I've been struggling to make ends meet. I've been taking like writing gigs from Craigslist to write random copy for who God knows what, um, to try to pay the bills. I'm like eating oatmeal and living on free food from my parents' house and (laughs) really not feeling all that great about myself. Um, and I had, it was not for lack of effort, but it also wasn't three years of like careful contemplation to put the story together perfectly. It was a lot of like spinning in circles and throwing away another draft and not even really sure if what I was putting in the book belonged in the book. And it sounds like, like uh, when I close my eyes, it's almost like the, the Hollywood idea of a writer. Like they're just in some little apartment on a typewriter, just like parents food and random jobs. It sounds like a pretty, um, typical description of a struggling writer trying to figure it out. Totally. But I think one thing that happens, and this feels important too, one thing that happens is we glamorize that picture that we have of writers. So even though the picture in our heads might include the eating the parents' food and struggling to make ends meet, in our head, it's still glamorous. It's like Mm. she's sitting at a typewriter and there's sun streaming in through the window and she's got these brilliant ideas that are flowing from her brain into her fingers. And in real life, you feel like I am such a fraud. I should go get a job. I'm 26 years old. Like I'm, I need a 401k. What am I doing with my life? Totally, totally. So I'm struggling with all of that internally as I'm trying to get this book written. The book finally gets written and published and actually ends up doing fairly well in the marketplace. Um, I think at this point it sold like 26,000 copies, which they say 90% of books never sell more than 5,000 copies. So, so it's done well in the marketplace, but even when the book did well in the marketplace, I realized there was a huge problem that authors and especially new authors came up against when it came to writing and outlining a book. And I just, I, I decided in that moment that I wanted to solve this problem. <laughs> Number one, even if you sell a shit ton of copies of your book, it's very hard to make a living <laughs> as an author, unless you're selling millions of copies, in which case with the royalty splits, the way that they're set up in the publishing industry, then you can make a living to support a family. Um, otherwise that's cha- it's challenging to do that. So we're talking, um, uh, more non or fiction books, I'm guessing of an author trying to make a living. Whereas I guess, um, not trying to sell a product through the book, although that's a strategy, I'm sure, but we're talking fiction books at this point, just so I'm clear on the whole big picture here. And I was actually working on a nonfiction book. I sold okay. a nonfiction book. Okay, cool. Okay. That sells at, sells at market for like 1299 or 1399 or yeah. something like that. No and product, no business behind it. Just. Writing no, no, a book. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. A lot of, I mean, you're, you're touching on an important point, which is that a lot of the ways authors are making money now is the book is the loss leader or the lead magnet of course, yeah. that leads you to more expensive products and services that you can monetize. And then it's much easier to make a living that way. Totally. But the other thing I started noticing is no matter how experienced or not experienced of an author you are, that there, it's, there's a real challenge to getting an idea down and that we were spending all of this time spinning in circles, trying things over and over again, I was like, there has to be a way to make this simpler, to at least point people on a path so that they can get more writing done in less time and improve their finished product. And then the third problem that I saw was that the most common piece of advice being given to writers was to grow their platforms. And I saw this to be a massive problem, not just for authors who were aspiring to write books, but also for culture as a whole, because if we're telling people to go grow your platform, then people will get really good at taking pretty pictures for Instagram, but they won't get really good mm. at developing their message or their idea into something that's actually going to have a transformative impact on readers at the end of the day. So 
I want to create a solution to this problem. This is how any business starts, right? Is I was like, I can, I can figure out a system to make this easier for writers. So I used my background in education and curriculum development to build a curriculum. At the time, it was a 12-month curriculum for authors to teach them to outline, write, edit, and publish their books. Cool. And um, that came out in 2013, and I've spent the last seven years refining that system, and that's still what we do at Find Your Voice today is walk authors through that process. So what's cool about it is it really does reduce the, the problem you're talking about where you could spend three hours, you're really committed and dedicated to this book project, so you block out three hours on your calendar, which is super valuable to you as a business owner. You block out three hours on your calendar, and you sit down to do the work, and three hours later, you come up with nothing. (laughs) Yeah, you've got like a paragraph that says the same thing three times. Yes, exactly. What our process does is it helps an author come up with the outline first, so you've developed the message really fully, and now you know exactly what you're getting at. So that when you sit down to write in your three hours of writing time, you know what story you're telling, you know what the takeaway is for the reader, you know what the paradigm shift is, you know what the transformation is you want the reader to have, you know what supporting examples you're going to use, you know what the data is that's included in that chapter. So you don't have to wonder when you sit down, what should I be writing about or does this belong here? You know it belongs there. And it reduces your writing time dramatically you're, you're really selling the probably the most valuable thing is I spend 90% of my time with clients and the coaches that I have is basically 90% of the time is seeking clarity. It's finding finding clarity on, on, on the big picture and on what happens next. So it sounds like your systems and methods totally. is like, yo, know, instead of just sitting here being creative on a typewriter smoking cigarettes, let's um let's get you productive <laughs> creative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So cool. So okay, so just to be clear, because I'm I'm I am literally everyone listening, I'm I'm in the same boat. So this episode's a little different where I'm literally like sitting here with you. Pulling information from from Allison here. So, okay. So, let's say they have your framework, or they have some sort of framework. Um, where do they? Do you have some kind of framework? Where can they find the framework that you deliver on? So we teach the framework in a couple of different ways, depending on how much support you think you need. We teach it in a group setting online. It's an online course called Prepare to Publish, and you can read more about that course at findyourvoice.com/publish. Cool. So that's where to find out more about Prepare to Publish. But it's it walks you through the same exact curriculum, the same exact process that we use for every single author that we meet with. Um, it's in a group coaching setting, and it's all online, so you can do it from the comfort of your own home. That's the benefit of that. Okay. And then okay. we also teach that same exact framework in a setting that we call Book in a Day. And the reason I call it Book in a Day is because you can literally go from a book idea to a book outline in a single day, meeting with myself and one other member from my team, two-on-one. So, so you get the same workbook to start out with. You get three supporting calls following um, our, our day together. But the real benefit there is you get a full day with myself and my team member to give you direct feedback on your work to help you put the outline together in a way that you know makes sense for you. So okay. just okay. a little bit more added support. Um, and then there's also an option if, if that um, – for this is this option we added for people who their budget precluded them doing the two on one. We also added an option where you can meet with just Annie, who's our creative director, and it's just a one on one day. Cool. Same coursework, same material, start cool. to finish. Cool. Takes you away from it. So, okay, so they got the outline, uh, you know, and, and you've figured out some outline, and now you've got to sit there 
And right, so even for me, I get an outline, like Sarah will create an outline for me for like, hey, we want to get on into this magazine or into this. So here's the outline, um, fill it in. And even me, like knowing my craft very well, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with what I do, studying, reading, learning, teaching, probably like a lot of your clients, completely obsessed with what it is I do. I can speak it very well. Uh, I can, mm-hmm. I can, I'm one of the people who, because of my film background, set up a camera, I don't need a script, let me go. I understand the beats of a video, mm-hmm. and the hook and the attention and the call to action, all that fun stuff. I sit down to write and whoever's listening, you probably relate to this, I would think. You sit down to write and you're like, like I, 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 I'm, I'm not used to writing. Mm-hmm. And I know it's, a, it's probably a time thing where like you, 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 it's a skill you develop. But what's some of the advice for people who maybe they have an outline or they're starting to write or they're trying to write an article, but I don't know, it's just not coming. So it is a skill you develop, but let me reframe it a little bit for you because I think this makes it feel less daunting. Less than a skill that that you're developing, it's a muscle you're strengthening. It's Writing comes from a different part of our brain than any other kind of communication comes from. It accesses a deeper part of our brain and it flows from a deeper part of our brain, a part of our brain that we don't live in very often. So what makes this challenging is we're not used to going to that part of our brain. And just like any muscle that you don't use that often, it atrophies. So we're not used to living there. It's hard to get there. When we are there, we feel uncomfortable. It would be like if you went to the gym after a year or three years of not going to the gym and someone threw you on a treadmill for 20 minutes at the high speed, you'd be huffing and puffing. You'd be miserable. You'd be like, what the hell am I doing? Get me off of this thing. Every second would feel painful to you versus if you're on the treadmill for 20 minutes every day, 20 minutes on a treadmill doesn't feel like a big deal. And the same is true with our writing. So if we can exercise this part of our brain, uh, that, that produces our best writing, we'll do a much better job of dropping in immediately when we get there of staying there for longer periods of time and of getting, of of sort of mining the content that's there to get it into words on the page while we're there. So I can talk, let me talk a little bit about the part of your brain and, and a couple tips for how you can access it. Yeah, I love this. We're always, we're um, always like, man, give me, give me, give me the secret sauce. Give me the secret <laughs> sauce. I'm sure you've got, you got one or two secret uh, sauce. I, I know you do. I do. Yeah. Well, okay. So let me preface this by saying that if there are any people listening who are neuroscientists or anything like that, they're going to, this is going to be the most simplistic explanation that they've ever heard in their life. So this might annoy them, but for everybody else, Um, most of us live most of our day in our frontal cortex, our prefrontal cortex. This is the part of our brains that helps us to organize material. It helps us to, to execute things on time. It helps us to manage many tasks at once. Um, it's a part of your brain that helps you pay your mortgage on time and get to meetings on time and arrive to work and take your kids to school. And don't forget, you've got to pick up grapes at the grocery store or whatever on the way home. So this is the part of our, yeah, it's the part of our brain we're living in most of the time. The, the problem with living in this part of our brain, we need this part of our brain. It's very crucial to our survival in the modern world. The problem with this part of our brain is it is at war with another part of our brain called the limbic system. And the limbic system is the part of your brain where most of your creative ideas come from. Our limbic systems are a deeper, more primal part of our brain. They are usually, they're at work when we're dreaming. So they are much less concerned with things being in linear order um, the limbic part of our brains lose track of time. They, um, th- they, they actually aren't concerned with things making logical sense. This is why you can have a dream about 
like you're in a car with your spouse and your eighth grade teacher and they're having a conversation as if they are best friends and yet you know that they never met each other. <laughs> Just like, you're yeah. like, how did that person end up in that dream? So that's because your limbic system is trying to make sense of seemingly disconnected ideas. This is what our limbic systems do really well. And it's why our most imaginative and creative ideas come from this part of our brain because there's, because it's the most primal part of our brain, it's where all of our like deeply human questions and struggles and values and, um, you know, all the things that are universally human that we deal with all come from that part of our brain. So when you sit down to your computer or to your journal or to your whatever, wherever it is you do your writing, you're used to living in the limbic part of your brain, that higher level part of your brain. And your limbic brain is really good at analyzing and thinking and critiquing and, and criticizing. And we need that. But if you try to write from that part of your brain, you're going to drive yourself effing crazy. Mm. You're going to make yourself nuts. What we need to do is find a way to exercise the muscle of sort of turning off that part of our brain for a moment, dropping into our limbic brain and letting the words come in a way that's usually not grammatically correct isn't totally linear, doesn't make a lot of sense, um, disconnect, seemingly disconnected ideas that we think might be connected, but we're not, not sure how they're connected. The why isn't totally clear. And it's really, really challenging for most of us to do that. It feels, it feels honestly terrifying for lack of a better word. There's something about it that like our bodies kind of react. It's like um, we're giving up control almost like, just like, well, I'm going to yes. give up control for a little bit. Totally. And I think that's the reason why most of us get stuck in our writing is because we aren't willing to let go of that control for a second to see what comes up when we sit down to the page. So a couple of tips and tricks that you can use to help you drop into your limbic brain. These are just really practical tips. Number one, our limbic brains are most active while we're sleeping in our dreams. So if you can capitalize, this is why a lot of writers will talk about writing first thing in the morning. If you listen to writing experts, a lot of them will say, use those first few hours in the morning. And I think the reason why that works for so many people is because you're basically capitalizing on the fact that your limbic brain is already turned on. Your frontal cortex isn't quite on yet. And you can just kind of ride the wave into the first few hours of your day. So, um, for some people or for most people, this works best in the morning, but I've also at our workshops, I ask people what time of day they write best. And I'll also, I also hear a handful, I would say 20 to 30% of people talk about writing really, really late at night. So midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, after the kids are in bed, after everybody's asleep for the same exact reason that the beginning of the day works because right. nobody has a, me- a meeting scheduled for you at 2am. Nobody needs anything from you at 2am. Nothing else is going on that your frontal cortex is feeling like it needs to remember or stay on top of. So your frontal cortex gives you permission to drop into that more creative part of your brain. I, I love the, the scientific-ish approach you're taking because I, for three years now, every big problem I have, I write it on a piece of paper before I go to sleep. And I swear to God, nine times out of ten, I have the answer in the morning or hmm. I wake up and on that piece of paper, I write down the answer without thinking. And I found that pattern probably two or three years ago. And I do it to this day. And I was always like, well, my subconscious mind is coming up while I'm dreaming um, but there sounds like there's a bit more of a scientific approach to it. I literally have been doing that for two to three yes. years and every solution comes at 5 a.m., 4 a.m. I wake up and I'm like, there it is. That's what I've been looking for. And no matter how much I'm... I try in the day to come up with a solution, I can do massive, fill these whiteboards up, nothing. Go to sleep, wake up. Oh, there it is. 
It's, I love that you gave that point because it's so funny how our, we need our frontal cortexes. I'm not dismissing it or downplaying it at all, but our frontal cortex will try so hard to find the solution to a problem that our limbic system just already knows. It's why you can, someone asks you like, what was that guy's last name again? And you're like, oh my God, now that you just asked me, I'm never going to be able to remember. But then as soon as you forget about it, your, your limbic brain will give you the answer. Yeah. So I love that you used that example because our limbic brains really are, and to take us all the way back to the productivity conversation, our limbic brains are actually much more efficient and productive at finding answers to complicated problems than our prefrontal cortex is if we can allow it to do it. Yeah. So if you can drop into your limbic system and you're doing, that's exactly what you're doing when you're writing yourself a question before you go to sleep. If you can drop into your limbic system, your limbic system will provide you the answer usually much more quickly than your frontal cortex would. Definitely found that. I love that. I love that. So cool. So if I'm going to write, I'm going to write in the morning. It sounds like that's my, that's my golden <laughs> hours there. It's a good time. Cool. Cool. Okay. Okay. So there's, there was one thing I think you mentioned the first thing, which is utilize the morning or utilize, um, don't fight your natural flow of dropping into that. So whatever works mm-hmm. for you, 70% of people in the morning, 30% of people at night. Um, mm-hmm. love that. I think that's super practical. And someone else who's maybe struggling with letting go of control and um, stop using the um, you know the frontal con- cortex to come up with little solutions and actually get creative, what's another thing you got for them? So the second thing is our limbic our limbic brains are very attached to our olfactory system, which is our sense of smell. So this is why a lot of times people intuitively will light a candle at the desk where they're sitting to write. They're sort of like setting the ambiance or setting the mood. I also, this is a bit of conjecture, but I also think this is part of why writers and smoking are such a thing or like even maybe not present day so much, but that the idea of like smoking a cigarette, that something that has such a distinct smell to it, attaching that to your creative process or to your writing process can be really powerful. I'm not suggesting people go start smoking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't do, don't do drugs. No, okay. no, no, no. But, um, but things like essential oils or, um, or even coffee. This is another, like I'm, I am one of part of my routine when I sit down to write is having a cup of coffee with me and I'm convinced it doesn't even need to be caffeinated coffee. It's more the sense of smell and the sense of ritual around having the cup of coffee that helps my brain. It reminds my, my brain, okay, it's time to drop out of your frontal cortex and into your limbic system. So all I'm suggesting is that we find creative ways to activate that part of our brain by using our sense of smell. The great thing about a sense of smell is it's Portable. So you can take it with you anywhere. You could bring right. a cup of coffee with you on an airplane or to your in-laws house or on vacation or to a cabin in the woods or wherever it is that you're doing your writing. You can bring your essential oils with you. You can bring that candle with you. You can bring whatever it is that helps you to get to that place. I, I want to say one thing because I think this will, there might be some humor to this, but have you ever worked with someone who's highly intellectual? Let's just talk like a CEO or someone who is like productivity all of the time, yet they want to write a book. I'm sure you've worked with some people at that capacity. Mm-hmm. What is their yes. general reaction or what's something that like, are they resistant to this? They're just like, this does not make sense. This is not logical. This does not like, <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, but if I, I'm guessing they do it because a lot of really brilliant are intellectually, you know, smart um, thinkers write books. Sure. They do. So I have worked with uh, several clients like that. And you're right. A lot of those people are, they're the exact people who we want writing books because we need their ideas, their ideas shape and change us and create the world that we're living in. Um, It is like 
herding cats to get them to write sometimes. And a lot of those, I, I'm going to say guys, because a lot of them are men. A lot of those men who come to me are like, okay, what is it going to cost me to have you write my book? <laughs> I've and said I'm the same, so I've asked the same questions. I've asked the same questions. So I, <laughs> like, can you just do it? It is, it is possible, you know, and I've, I also, I've ghostwritten a handful of books in my day. I've written a bunch of books for other people. Um, the thing I've learned over the long haul is that what you, it, books are always a collaborative process. So there's a difference in my mind between co-writing or collaborative writing with someone who's coming up with the ideas versus just straight out and out ghostwriting yeah, their yeah, book and yeah. putting their name on it. There's just this, uh, there's a, there's kind of a gray area, but there's a line between those two things. Um, and the thing I've learned is that what happens when you write for someone is you steal from them the transformative process that happens when they're actually the ones to drop into their limbic system and put the words on the page themselves. That to me is, I, I, that's so important to me that I offer that experience to every person who comes to this process that I have stepped away from a traditional a traditional definition of ghostwriting. I don't do ghostwriting anymore. Um, I, we have content development services at Find Your Voice that we do step in and help co-write mm -hmm. books with authors and help them develop ideas where, you know, just kind of act as a support where they don't have the time or the expertise to do it themselves. Um, but we really expect our authors and hope for our authors to be a huge part of that process because we think they gain so much from doing it with us. I think you said something really cool that I actually have never thought about, but now that I have I took a note of you said you're robbing them of that process but you're probably on a bigger scale or what I think you mean to say or or maybe I missed it was you're robbing them of expanding on those ideas or even coming up with world-changing yes. ideas through it because they probably have yes. eureka moments in there being like holy shit I never even thought of this this is brilliant and you're robbing them of that and keeping it surface level a hundred percent I love that yeah I love you that. can you can write a book that way that sells but I don't think the best books in the world are written that way. Well, be, that's just yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. opinion. And yeah. and I guess because I mean most of most of the people here are they would be like I want to write a book because it'll help me make more money and and get on bigger stages and mm -hmm. and and reach more people, which is obviously the angle that I would be taking from a more practical point of view. But there's also gold within it because through the process, um, I may come up with yeah. ideas that double or triple the business um, that I never thought of before. Hundred percent. So this is crazy. This could be a whole other podcast episode, but the research around the power of writing to create positive change in your personal life is staggering. It, writing a regular practice of writing, which um, what they call a regular practice of writing, is twenty minutes a day for four days in a row. So if you wrote for twenty minutes a day for four days out of every week, the the kinds of results that they're seeing people get are. A stronger immune system, literally 50% less likely to visit the doctor for upper respiratory infections and flu. Um, better working memory, greater cognitive powers. Um, more likely, these people are more likely to report being happy in their romantic partnerships. They're more likely to get hired for a job. They're more likely to get promoted. They're more likely to make more money. So just the kinds of yeah. sweeping benefits that you can mm -hmm. see in your life from words you write on the page that you may never, ever publish are so powerful that there's just no reason, in my opinion, why anyone shouldn't get started with a regular practice of writing. I love that. I love that. I love it. I love it. So it sounds like if I'm going to boil all of this down to the most important thing that you would say someone like myself should get help with is the outline. And if we can get clear on the outline of the entire thing, then you sort of have, hey, stick within 
these rules so you're not running in circles, but go execute or go have fun or go write and stay within this and we'll fix it later. We'll, we'll make it sound exactly. good later. Exactly. Yeah. It, it actually, it doesn't sound that hard. It sounds like the outline and getting all those thoughts because I think as, as experts or as, as passionate, you know, um, always seeking knowledge, we probably have, I know I have so much in my head that writing a script for a six, six minute video or, or uh, a blog post to go on Forbes is like, that's one single idea. It's pretty easy to do. It follows a basic beats and structure, but to write a book and try to get 600 ideas and bring them into 20 main ideas and then break them down to three key points is like, yes, I'm like, it, it almost seems like it confines me to what, to what I know kind of thing. So sounds like the outline totally. is the, the brilliant piece. It is. It really is. I love that. I love that. If people want to find more, I have one more question for you. If people want to find more about that outline, we'll put all the links below. You already kind of mentioned it. You have a few different mm -hmm. ways of working with you. You have a course, a group setting, um, a one-on-one -on -one with two of you and a one-on-one -on -one with one of you. Uh, website's the best place to find that? Yeah, findyourvoice.com. Also, if you're just, if you're listening and you're like, I don't really feel like writing a book, but I definitely want to try this regular practice of writing, but I wouldn't know, even know where to start. You can also go to findyourvoice.com slash prompts and sign up there with your email address and we'll send free prompts to your inbox every single Monday morning with instructions for how to use them. That can kind of help you get the creative juices flowing as it relates to writing. And then maybe somewhere in the future, you could think about writing a book if you're not quite there yet. That, that's a beautiful, I did not, every episode I do, there's always an actionable step. But I did not know what that was going to be. I actually usually <laughs> have it right now. I didn't know. I'm like, hey, for for seven days, try this. You know, try this challenge. It sounds like maybe a really good actionable step for someone listening, including myself. And I'm doing this. I'll you can hold me to it. Anyone listening is for the next seven days. I'm going to put 20 minutes aside in the morning. You can check out yes. the prompt page. We'll put the link below. And just without wanting to produce anything, I'm just going to write something. And whether I use it or not, but I'm going to see what that does. And in next week's episode, which is an episode we're hosting, I'll actually talk about it for the first 30 seconds and just see what I found um, and what it did for me. I love that. Cool. I love it. Can't I love wait it. to hear it. I love it. And the final question I have, and this is, um, we can edit this if there's five minutes of silence. It's totally cool. <laughs> if you were to with where you're at and this can be business or personal this this podcast there's a lot of tactics a lot of strategy and i think this episode was a lot more tactical for the most part we didn't for the most part it was but whatever you choose to share but for someone listening who is in the beginning of their journey and they've got something inside them they've got this i know what it's like in high school i literally thought i was going to go crazy i wanted to scream i wanted to yell i wanted to make music i had something inside me that for whatever mm -hmm. reason i wanted to put out in the world and I get to do that on a daily basis. I didn't know how back then. So if someone's listening and they've got something, I'm sure you meet people like this. I'm, you've probably gone through this maybe yourself. Yeah. It's like you had something, but you're just like, I don't. And you're sitting in an office job or you're, you're doing something you know you shouldn't, yeah. is not enough. And it's killing you from the inside out. Um, what's something you would say to someone who's listening and is is getting emotional here because they, they know they can do this or they, they, they think they can do this, but they're just kind of stuck. Hmm. Well, a couple of things I could say to someone who's in that position. Number one, you can trust yourself. That nagging voice that's telling you this isn't quite right or something's off here is never lying to us. It, sometimes we can get in this battle with ourselves where we think that um, 
we're just being ungrateful or we're just complaining about something that's not a big deal because other people have it way harder than us and we've really got this great life. And um, that, that's how I felt when I was teaching in the public school system. I'm like, I have a great job. Other people don't have jobs. You know, it was, I got my job in 2008 when, when I graduated and most people weren't getting jobs and I had a job and was like, I should just be more grateful for my job. And I've got family that loves me and I've got friends and I live in this great community. But there was just this nagging sense that something wasn't right. And, and the nagging sense was really guiding me in the direction that I wouldn't be here today if I hadn't taken steps forward and listened to what that voice was telling me. Um, and honestly, I mean, I called my company Find Your Voice for a bunch of different reasons. But the number one reason was because I really believe that that voice guides us. And I think that the power of writing is that it gives us access to that voice. So the voice inside of you that knows what you don't know, <laughs> that has wisdom that you don't have, that um, understands things that you don't understand, that has a deep well of wisdom, that voice inside of you can be accessed through that regular practice of writing. And what it'll probably tell you to do are things that seem terrifying to you at the time, like quit the job or leave the relationship or move to a new city or um, tell that friend you need some space from them or whatever it is. It will probably seem terrifying, but it will lead you to a reality and an outcome that is more deeply fulfilling than you could possibly imagine. So today, genuinely, I wake up to my life and I think um, I come to work every day with people that I love and I get to do work that feels fun and fulfilling for me and I make a great living and I'm married to a man who is really wonderful and that I love and we're expecting a baby and <laughs> we've got a cute little puppy and like, you know, I mean, there's always things that are problems in our lives, but it's like the life that I have today, I know that I've created because I've listened to that, that nagging voice. So I would just say to someone who's hearing that voice, don't ignore it. I am thankful that you took the plunge. It would have been mm -hmm. selfish of you. It actually would have been selfish for you mm -hmm. not to execute on that. It's actually more selfless to step into that. And not only do you get to create a life for yourself like you did, but you're helping and making a massive change and helping other people Agreed. get their story out there. And so it's, it's, I think playing small is the most selfish thing that you can possibly ever do, like ever, ever. So I'm grateful that you Agreed. took it, grateful that you're here. And I have a really good feeling that we'll be chatting soon because I've been I've been bubbling with it. <laughs> Alice, I'm telling you, I'm, I've been bubbling with this. It's been two years, and I've got 18 outlines written. But then I'm like, I'll put it off, and then I write another outline, and then I've tried it probably three times, and I've got 80 pages deep, and I'm like, this this is this is bullshit. And so we'll we'll chat with you, and we'll see how oh, we yes. can work together. We'll be meeting soon. I love it. I can't wait. I love it. Thank you for your time. I'll put the links below. Thank you. And we'll chat soon. Thanks. All right, so as always, I just want to finish off the episode with saying thank you for listening. These episodes are 100% free and they're dedicated to helping you build your coaching business because there are clients out there just waiting for you to reach them. They're waiting for you to give them a result. So do not give up on your dream and never give up on your business. Again, these episodes are 100% free. All I ask in return is that you give it a thumbs up, you give it a like, you give it a little bit of love in the comments or the reviews, and you share it with one or two coaches who you know could use help building their coaching businesses. That's it. I'm done. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode.